Go spread my word. Baptize people. Go and do something. Win people for Jesus. As we move into verse 15, we'll skip a bit of 14. We'll come back to that in a minute. But it says, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. We have no concept of how long this nobleman was gone for, just like none of us will know when Christ will return. But we know that the nobleman receives his kingdom when he is away. And on his return, he orders the servants that he gave the money to, he summons them to give an account for what they've done. This leads us to an interesting question of, is Christ's kingdom established now or will it be established in the future? The answer is both. Many of the blessings of the kingdom of God are here to be enjoyed now. By those that believe. But some of them are not yet here. Some of the power of Christ is available. But not all of it. The curse, the misery of sin is overcome in the present. But yet we still wrestle with sin. The battle against sin, against Satan, has been won by the king in his death, in his resurrection. But the war for us is not yet over. That's why sin must be fought. Satan must be resisted. Sickness must be prayed for. And death must be endured until Christ returns. This tells us as well... That when Christ returns, each one of us will stand before the throne of God. Revelation 20, the great white throne judgment tells us something of this. That we will stand before God. Yes, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. But to some extent, we will have to give an account of ourselves. God will ask, what have you done with your life? How have you magnified me? How have you shown others the truth of Christ in your life? What have you done in my absence? And that's the challenge of this passage. We live in this time between verses 14 and 15. The master is gone. The master will return. We are given a challenge. We are given something to do. So how will we respond to it? There's three responses to it given in this passage. The first we see in verses 16 to 19. We have the faithfully obedient servant. The servants were told to put their master's money to work. They could give the money to investors, they could earn interest on it, they could buy stuff, they could sell it. There were tons of possibilities. But the important thing was that they had to do something with it. They had to make more with it. As long as it was legal, as long as it was profitable, they could do what they wanted. And the first two accounts that we have here are positive accounts. 
The first servant brings in 10 minas. I'm not a business kind of guy, but if I get one and I make 10, I'm guessing that's pretty good. The second guy gets one, brings back five. Not quite as good, but that's pretty good. If you can fivefold your money, you're doing pretty well. They were given something to do. And the nobleman rewards his two servants as he sees fit. The servants, no idea of the reward or what it would be. They just wanted to please their master. And they were given oversight of ten and five cities. What an honour and what a privilege these guys were given. These men did their job faithfully. There was no assurance for them that their master would return like there is for us. But they went and they did faithfully. If we're faithful in a little, you shall have authority over ten cities, it says. If we are faithful in a little, God will give us a lot. We take small opportunities, God gives us big opportunities. There's something as well of the doctrine of reward in this. Something that we don't massively speak about. But this idea that there is a reward in heaven according to faithfulness. We're given responsibility. Take the Apostle Paul. Somebody that time and again proved to take the opportunities he was given. And was constantly given more and more responsibilities. But his job was simple. Go and share the news of Jesus. Go and tell people that Jesus saves. Christ is not physically with us. Go and do your job in his absence. He says. And this job is entrusted to each of us. As the servant faithfully served his nobleman. We are called to faithfully serve Christ. We're called to share the good news of Christ so that it multiplies and it fills the world. So like these minas, go and invest the gospel. Go and sow it. Go and invest it. You see, on the day of Pentecost, 120 people met. By the end of the day, there was 3,000 just after that, there was 5,000, and it grew, and it grew. And I thought this was really interesting. But the Jewish leaders at the time accused the Christians of filling Jerusalem with the message that Jesus saves. What an accusation that would be. You were accused of filling Hamilton with the news that Jesus Christ saves. How incredible is that? How on fire were they that day that 120 became 3,000? We see here Christians putting this command, putting this parable into action. These Christians were faithfully at work, pouring out the love of Christ that they came into contact with. I really like the analogy that we used in one of our Bible studies a while ago, this idea of front lines. This idea that we all serve, that we all engage in different places, whether it's school, uni, work, the bus stop, shopping, whatever it is, we all engage people somewhere. Yet the command to each of us 
is exactly the same. It's not a command to the evangelists or just to the preachers, but it is a command to all of us. Be faithful. Where can you invest the gospel? Go and obey. Is Christ evident in your life? Do others stop and think there's something different about this person? What is it? The second person, the second servant, sorry, the third servant that we have in verses 20 to 23 is the unfaithful and the disobedient servant. You read this and you think, what a waste. The third servant wasn't quite sure what to do. The command was black and white. The command was really straightforward. Go and make some money. But he was worried at what might happen. He was worried what might happen if he lost it. A lot of money, he probably wouldn't have lost it. But he was worried at what might happen. He was worried he might not make enough. He was scared of his master's reaction if anything went wrong. He was so distracted and worried that he did absolutely nothing. That he put it in a handkerchief and he stuck it away. The third servant just wanted to stand still. Just didn't really want to do anything. Kind of reminds me, what bird is it? Is it an ostrich that buries its head in the sand? That just kind of, problem comes, oh no, stick your head in the sand. That's kind of what this guy's doing. Just like, master's gone, chuck the head in the sand until the master gets back. And I think if we're not careful, that can be us sometimes. That we're just kind of hanging on for Jesus to come. That we're just kind of hanging on until our days are gone and then we can go and spend it in eternity. Are we burying our heads in the sand and just waiting for Jesus to return? Are you moving forward in your relationship with Christ? Or are you just waiting? Are you happy with this incredible gift, the mina, the gospel that God has given to us? Are you so mesmerized by it, so amazed by the good news of Jesus that you just can't keep it to yourself and you need to share it with others? Because if we don't, Jesus isn't happy. Because it's not good enough. Just like the nobleman in this parable is not happy. We're called to work. We're called to work for the kingdom of God. We're called to invest in people. We're called to sow seeds in people's lives into the hearts of those that will hear us. Jesus is saying invest, invest, invest and you will see disciples, you will see results. Why was this servant unfaithful? He was unfaithful because his heart was not in the right place. His heart wasn't in the right place towards his master. He saw his master as a hard man, as a demanding man, as an unfair man. Verse 21, for I was afraid of you because you were a severe man. You take what you do not deposit and reap what you do not sow. This resembles something of the world's view of God. This harsh, unfair, unjust God. 
And sometimes maybe we can get caught up in something of that. The servant didn't really love his master. He was scared of his master. He was scared to displease him. So rather than lose the money and see the anger of his master, he guarded it so that at least he would have something to show. But what he had to show was nothing because it's what he was given. Fear of God is good. But not the fear of a slave, but the fear of that of a child for a parent. A fear that is so filled with love, that is so filled with respect, that it should motivate us to do. We're called to serve God out of love and not fear. And the third group of people that we have in this is the rebellion that we see in verse 14 and verse 27 it says but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying we do not want this man to reign over us in verse 27 but as for these enemies of mine who do not want me to reign over them bring them here and slaughter them before me these enemies are mentioned at the beginning and the end of this parable And they're an important part of this story. Because most of the people listening to Jesus, most of this crowd round about him, fitted into this category. Jesus was near Jerusalem. What follows? The next passage directly after this is the triumphant entry of Jesus. Hosanna! Hosanna to the king! Here he comes on a donkey. Lay the families before him. Let's welcome him. Let's welcome the king. But yet a week later they cry, we have no king but Caesar. Crucify him. Crucify him. And there is something of a warning in this for those that reject Jesus. Jesus is saying, turn, repent, follow me. The world of this crowd The majority that want nothing to do with Jesus. That despise the king with the way that they live. This is the reality of our our broken world. This is the reality of what we live with and what we face. And we must work within that. To invest in people in the kingdom of God. And long to see people saved from that. We must desire to see those who do not know God come into relationship with him. You see, if you spend your life as the crowd that hate the nobleman, as the people that hate Jesus, if you spend your life rejecting Christ, then the day comes. On the day of judgment, when Jesus turns around and says, you've spent your life denying me. Every day you've told me you don't want me. Have your way. I love you that much. I will let you have ultimately what you want even though it's not what's best for you. And eternity is spent without God. Judgment. Slaughter my enemies before me talks of God's judgment, God's righteousness. The just God that we serve. We will all stand before the throne of God on judgment day. 
But we can stand secure knowing that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And there's a warning in here for those that are outside of Christ that there is no place to hide. We will all be called. And the justice of our God will be served. Just to conclude a couple of thoughts. The faithful servant, the, pair, the, the two people that we want to be like, that we should desire to be like, they obeyed. Why? Because they trusted their master. They wanted to please him. Trust Jesus. Want to please Jesus. There is nothing greater in this world than pleasing Christ. That should be everything that we want to look at tonight. I'm going to be continuing in Philippians uh, chapter 1. And we're going to be looking again at how do we see joy in every circumstance. How do we see through the rubbish that's before us? How do we see through the things that we just can't see out of? How do we take our blinkers off? And how do we see Jesus above our circumstances? Are you a faithful follower of Jesus? Because if you are, this is the challenge to each of us. Is this being lived out in your life? The unfaithful servant disobeyed because he feared his master. He wanted to stand still. He was lazy and he did nothing. 20, 30, 40, 50 years under this master. And what did he have to show for it? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. That scares me. That scares me to the core to think I could live a life that shows no fruit for Christ. And the citizens, the crowd, rebelled against him because they hated their king. Our world doesn't obey God because we love ourselves more than we love God. And as I said, we're living in this period between verses 14 and 15. Our master is absent, but he will return because he promises it. We've been given a task to perform. We're called to be faithful. What will the king say to you when he returns? Will he reward you? Will he rebuke you? Will he say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or will he say, be gone, I never knew you? The challenge of this parable is faithfulness. Let's be faithful to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the challenge within this. We thank you that you are an incredible and a loving God. That you want to use us to reach people so that they can come into relationship with you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your gospel, for the incredible saving grace of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you put a burning passion in each of us? A burning passion to be those faithful servants. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and we're going to sing at Calvary as we come round the communion table. Thank you.
to check that out, and because the last time I was here, it was dead. <laughs> Anyhow, it's alive, and that's great. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and this is what it says. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. He was rich, very rich. Going back through long <coughs> before we were all around and God and he were there. We're going to spend time this morning thinking about the Lord Jesus. And to, to begin with, we're going to sing a hymn, O to see the dawn of the darkest day. We'll keep our seats as we sing. <laughs> 